Hello and welcome back to Current Account. I'm your host, Clay Lowry, the Executive Vice President here at the Institute of International Finance. On Current Account, I try to talk about what I see as the most important current issues in international finance and economics while providing my own U.S. politics and policy angles on these different issues. And this week, I want to talk about an issue that's quite political, something that we've talked about in the past, which is the United States debt ceiling. So let's talk about first just a little bit of context. Back in January, the U.S. government hit the actual debt ceiling, which is the legal limit on how much money the federal government can borrow, which is around $31.4 trillion. That's the debt ceiling. Now, the ceiling has been used in the United States for over 100 years. This allowed the executive branch to issue debt without having to go to Congress every time it put out a bond. But over the last 25 years, we've seen that the debt ceiling has led towards periodic crises where one political party has said we needed to not raise the ceiling until we had made certain provisions on some other part of our fiscal accounts. And the other party has said, we don't want to do that. Usually it's the president's party that is saying, let's just have a clean debt ceiling because we don't want to have a debt default. And none of this really makes sense to people outside the United States because this is not how almost any other country on earth works. Now, in January, as I said, the debt ceiling was hit. The Treasury Department at that time used what are called extraordinary measures, which are basically just a series of little technical ways of using pots of money to pay some bills because you're not allowed to issue new debt. Those pots of money will run dry. And the speculation back then was that the pots of money would run dry sometime in late June through maybe August. Secretary of Treasury Yellen has said the X date, that's the date that those measures would run dry, could occur as early as June 1. Now, why is it could? And the reason is, is because tax receipts in the United States are somewhat volatile, and it's always hard to predict exactly when they'll come in. A number of tax receipts come in on April 15th, that's tax day, and they were not as robust as I think originally was expected. Part of that is because the markets in 2022 didn't do very well, which means capital gains taxes were down. A second reason, and one that's not discussed much, is that a number of states were given an extension on when they should pay their taxes. And that was because of various natural emergencies. So some states were given until May 15th, which is actually today as the release of this podcast. So there may be a little more receipts than originally were expected, and that might extend that June 1 deadline. One major state, California, has been given until October 15th for its taxes to come in because of some natural disasters that happened there. Now, California is a very important and a very big state. In fact, I think last estimates, I saw about 15% of all tax revenues come from the state of California. That doesn't mean 15% didn't come in, but it does mean that a, probably a pretty significant chunk of receipts that were expected will not actually occur until October 15th of this year. Okay, so now what do you do about it? And that's where you get into politics. The Republicans, led on the House by Speaker of the House of Representatives, Kevin McCarthy, have said that they will do a debt increase, but only in the context of having 
pretty significant fiscal cuts or spending cuts. And so they put together a package and they passed it through the House of Representatives. And in that package, it says, we will lift the debt ceiling, but under a framework where you would have to make major spending cuts. The Democrats, led by President Biden, have said two things. First, we don't want to negotiate at all on the debt ceiling. That should be clean. The debt ceiling is about past obligations by the government, and it's not about future obligations. And then secondly, we are willing to have a conversation about these fiscal cuts that you put in, although some of the cuts that the Republicans put in are core to democratic beliefs and the Biden administration itself. On May 9th, the president called together the four leaders from the the two Democrats and the two Republicans from the House of Representatives and the Senate to start trying to figure out a negotiation strategy. Again, the difference is a matter of semantics, in my opinion, which is the Democrats saying, we won't negotiate over the debt ceiling, but we will negotiate over the fiscal spending. And the Republicans saying, we need to negotiate over everything. My own view is that it's all kind of meaningless. You're just doing a negotiation. And so what actually can happen before June 1 or at least sometime in early June? So I'm going to paint a few different scenarios, and I'll probably go from most likely to least likely. Most likely is that there will be some sort of a deal worked out as pressure mounts on this. And when I mean pressure, I mean pressure as in missed payments to people, market volatility, etc. I will come back to that in a little bit, but that's the type of pressure that could grow on a bunch of politicians. So the first scenario is you would work out a deal. Now that deal could take a variety of different forms, but there's two probably big ones. One would be you have an actual deal of a framework of some sort in the next few weeks before June 1 or before early June, if the date moves a little bit. And that would probably be some sort of a fiscal framework. You wouldn't actually have the actual, all the specifics, but you would have some quantitative issues agreed to potentially some policy areas that could be agreed to, although that becomes more tricky. And then thirdly, you would raise the debt ceiling itself. A different way of doing that whole thing that I just mentioned is you would actually kick the can down the road, which is basically you would take the debt ceiling and you would move it till sometime in late September when our fiscal year changes. And so therefore, you would have basically a parallel thing. The debt Limit would be in late September, and at the same time, an agreement that you would reach some sort of an agreement over that time frame on the stuff I was saying earlier, but not in such a haphazard way and getting it done by the end of May. Instead, it would be by September. Now, the downside of that approach is that means you have to basically have a vote on a debt ceiling increase twice, not just once, but twice. The first is just a temporary one, and the second would be a longer-term one. And there are a lot of politicians who don't like to do any type of votes on a debt ceiling. All of this, of course, is possible, but there are a lot of different politics involved with that. For the Republicans, the tough part is, can you make compromises in order to appease those who feel like the only piece of leverage that they have over the Democrats on fiscal issues is the debt ceiling. 
So in other words, could Kevin McCarthy take back a compromise deal from what he had put together earlier in April and get it passed by the Republican caucus or by the House of Representatives? The answer may not be positive on that. And so that makes things a little bit tricky. For the Democrats, it's can they basically actually figure out ways that they can compromise on enough areas that enough Republicans would actually go along so that we don't have to worry about that debt increase. Now let's make it even more complicated and more difficult. And that's the scenario of where we actually breach the X date, whatever that X date is. In such a scenario, I think that there's a couple of different ways to think about it. This is where, again, people talk about this a little bit too loosely. If we breach the X date, that does not mean necessarily that we have defaulted on our debt. It does mean that we might start missing some payments as a government. So let's kind of think about that. Debt payments fall due because the debt service falls due. A number of bonds fall due during the month of June, for instance. I think there's almost a trillion dollars of U.S. debt that's falling due. But you could actually see a scenario where the Treasury Department tries to do something like this. They prioritize first paying the interest on debt, second rolling over principal that's falling due by issuing new debt. Remember, if you issue new debt to replace old debt, there's no net debt issuance. So you could do that even though the debt ceiling has been hit. And third, you would try to prioritize payments. Now, there's two ways of doing that that I can think of. The first is the one that you see from politicians and frankly, from mainly from newspapers and media outlets, which is that you would prioritize the payments based on the recipient that's being paid. In other words, who is more important to be paid? Now, the ones you always hear about are those that are the social security beneficiaries, which is our pension plan here in the United States, veterans who obviously had served in the military, probably the military itself, because you want to make sure you pay those people. And those that would not receive payments would be contractors that receive things from the government that do work for the government and some type of other payments that are falling due. Now, of course, payments are coming due all the time for the United States government. The problem with that methodology is it is, A, how do you actually make those judgment calls on who should be paid and who should not be paid? Second, how do you set your systems up in order to do that, your fiscal systems? That one, I'm not sure the Treasury Department can do. And third, I have to believe that is going to lead towards a lot of lawsuits because you are missing payments all the time based on some criteria that nobody can explain. A different alternative, and the one that I actually think is more likely if this ever occurred, and hopefully none of this occurs, would be that the Treasury Department would pay the bills in some sort of a chronological fashion. Now, what does that mean? So we've reached X date. The next day, there's a number of payments that are falling due, and we put aside revenue for our interest payments but we only have the resources to pay 50% of those payments, okay? Then the next day, we receive a few more payments, and now we have 75% of day one's payments. The next day, day three, we get a little more revenue. And then day four, we get a little more revenue. And now we actually have enough money to pay day one's bills. So we did it. We paid day one. But now we have to pay day two, and we have to start this process all over again. In other words, we prioritize based on the chronology of when payments fall due 
based on when our receipts come in. If you think this is complicated, you're right. It is. And it would be tough to do, though I actually think it would be easier to do than prioritizing who the recipients are. It could still lead towards significant delays in payment, which could lead you towards lawsuits again. But you're not making some sort of a judgment call on who gets it when. It's just based on what is the due date on things. And also then you get into a different issue, which is can you extend until June 15th? June 15th is when we receive a number of new revenues because of estimated taxes. And then there's an extraordinary tax revenues that'll come in on June 30th. So all of that means is you're kind of trying to figure out ways to buy some time to make these payments. By the way, another scenario would be is finally at some point you just miss a debt service payment and then you really have defaulted on your debt. So what does that mean from a market's perspective? All of what I just tried to say. The question is whether it is catastrophic or not. I think that if you ask most people about whether or not if the United States misses on its debt payments, then that would sort of be a catastrophe because the U.S. so much is based on the U.S. Treasury market and in our financial system here in the United States. But the scenarios I was trying to paint would be trying to avoid that. Now, you would still be missing payments and you would not be paying recipients, at least without some sort of delay in there. This could be politically really problematic because, of course, you're not going to be paying for people around the United States who have done various services or have been good taxpayers for a long time and didn't do anything wrong outside of now they just live in the United States and the U.S. Is, can't get its own political house in order. During that time, it is almost assuredly the credit rating agencies would downgrade the United States. Maybe not by a lot, but by some. This happened back in 2011, and at that time, there weren't really any payments that were missed. So you would see a downgrading of debt. You would probably see it becoming harder and more difficult, really more pricey, for the U.S. Treasury Department to issue new debt, even if there's no net new issuance. So credit spreads would widen out, which means it becomes more expensive. Equity markets, not that I'm a predictor of equity markets, are likely to decline. Almost assuredly, this would have an impact on the economy as a whole. How this would affect the dollar is an interesting debate with some would say that actually you could still see a rush toward quality, a rush toward the dollar, even though, of course, it's the United States which is creating all these problems. We actually saw that back in 2008, 2009 crisis when the dollar actually went up, even though the banking crisis really emanated from the United States, even though it turned into a global crisis. And then finally, I would say is volatility would rise substantially as everyone was trying to figure out what all of this meant, particularly since most of this is based not on a willingness to pay or a capacity to pay, but based on political gridlock that doesn't allow for a payment to happen. Finally, one last scenario before I wrap up, which is the kind of one-off weird ideas that are out there. And I say weird without trying to be judgmental. There is the idea of a trillion-dollar coin. Now, this would be that the U.S. Mint would produce a coin. They would then park it at the Fed. The Fed would provide them money that they would print. And that would be used to pay bills. All right. Now, I have a lot of problems with this idea. 
there is, I believe, some sort of legal scholars out there that say you can actually do this. I don't see how this doesn't run into a constitutional problem myself. It totally undermines the separation of powers within the United States. And if you can do one trillion, why not do 500 trillion? Now, of course, there might be inflationary aspects of basically having the Fed print this type of money. But the whole thing just strikes me as slightly nonsensical. The other idea out there, which is probably not as nonsensical, is to basically say that the debt ceiling itself is unconstitutional because of the 14th Amendment, which basically says that all debts shall be paid in the United States. The problem there, I think, is this one seems a little legally dubious since we actually have had a debt ceiling for 100 years, and some people would argue that precedent actually means something again, strikes me as something that legal scholars have a lot of ideas and thoughts and so forth about, and nothing's actually been tried in court. I would think that this would run into a lot of problems if you actually tried it in court. For those outside the United States, all of this must seem very strange. Actually, for those inside the United States, it must seem strange. But it's still important. The U.S. economy, the markets, the role of the dollar are by far the most important in the world economy. And the fact that we in the United States could put ourselves in a position for this to happen must be somewhat shocking or at least frightening for those outside. How this would affect their markets, I think it depends on what happens, of course. But if U.S. Treasuries go up, it's going to raise borrowing costs here in the United States that could harm businesses, that could harm the economy, and that could harm others outside the United States. As I mentioned earlier, if the dollar actually rises during this, one would think that that's going to have an effect on capital flows. And of course, that would probably most impact emerging markets. So the impact that could occur from a miscalculation here within the United States, I think, could be significant internationally, even though this is clearly a problem that is based on the U.S. political system. So on that happy note, let me try to go with my three, two, one. These are my three main takeaways from my conversation about the debt ceiling, two things I'm looking forward to, and my one sports fact. As for my three main takeaways, first, the U.S. debt ceiling could be hit within the next few weeks. This has made negotiations over it and our fiscal framework in the United States very important. Second, most likely, the Republicans and Democrats will find a way through these negotiations to solve this problem, though it will probably come at the last second. And that doesn't mean that it won't create a fair amount of volatility in the meantime. In fact, we've already seen some of that within our capital markets here in the United States. And third, there are scenarios where this does not happen. And in those scenarios, there's no real positive aspects as far as I can tell. It will lead towards strange behavior by the U.S. government, by the Treasury Department, and while we may not default necessarily, we will certainly miss payments and we will not make good on accounts payable as a government. The two things I'm looking forward to, 
The first is the continued negotiations that are actually happening right now between Republicans and Democrats on how this framework could occur. The second is whether or not the X date actually moves. So again, Secretary Yellen has suggested that it could be as early as June 1. Others think it might slip a little bit, or in other words, be a little later in the year. I think we'll probably get a better handle on that in probably by the end of this week or early next week. And now my one sports fact. My one sports fact this week was actually based on an essay that was written by DeMar DeRozan in The Athletic. So DeMar DeRozan, for those of you who don't know, is a great NBA basketball player who is almost assuredly going to go to the Hall of Fame. What he wrote a letter on was the role of his mother in how great a basketball player he is and he as a human being. And he said a lot of things, but he said, she taught me how to be resilient and never fear anything in the darkest of times to always keep my head up. And he wrote this because this weekend is Mother's Day. So I was reflecting on this for my own mother. My father knew a lot more about sports than my mom, but my mom gave me the enthusiasm of sports. She was in love with our local football team, which at that time was named the Washington Redskins. And my mom passed away almost 35 years ago. But during the time that she was alive, we used to go to games. She would dress up in costumes to go because she thought it was so much fun. And all she wanted was her sons to enjoy sports as much as she did. And this son did. And so I always thank her for that. In fact, I would just go then back to DeMar DeRozan, who says, it's like every Mother's Day that comes, the appreciation, the love, and the gratitude that still seems to grow. So happy Mother's Day to everybody out there. Thank you very much. And that's it for Current Account this week. As always, we love to hear your feedback on the show as we constantly look to improve and enhance the experience for you, the listener. And we can be reached at podcast at IIF.com. All our episodes can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening and goodbye. 